Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When I was two years old, when I was dedicated to the cause of Lucifer, I was at that point a generation wish. I was laying there, practically naked, and I had her hold me as if I was naked. I couldn't talk, I couldn't open my eyes, I, I believe my eyes were all right back in my head. There was evidence of human sacrifice on this flight. One of my first questions I asked was, God, is there evidence? say is is that we lied we didn't take a two-week break you lied i never said anything surprise surprise that's true i lied I, you did not lie <laughs> but here we are here we are it's, we just couldn't stay away it's sunday yeah of course not of course not but we do have a special guest in town but i'll get to that in a second but we had a pretty awesome party last night yeah tell everybody did. what we did well we uh we're celebrating Alyssa's birthday and after Isn't celebrating like 20, uh, 21 years old. Yeah, I think 20, yeah, yeah 21. Yeah. Um, after seeing your birthday this past August with the live band and how successful and fun that was, she decided uh-huh. she wanted to do something similar, but with an eighties themed band. So we put it together and, you know, started practicing and I had a couple of buddies from work in the band. So then everyone else at work heard about it. So then we ended up moving the whole party to where I work, which is a rehearsal facility into this big room with a giant stage and lights and everything. And, um, we did a Russian roulette suicide karaoke, which was a blast. Yep. 
some of the songs that you played, you played I Ram by Flock of Seagulls. Yeah, we did. Which was really good. You guys started off with that, I think, right? Yeah. Uh, had the guitar out for most of the set. Oh, yeah. Did, uh, uh, you also did We're Not Gonna Take It, which are our special guests in studio here right now. Yeah, well, well that was the fun part is everybody show up and they're like, hey, what's the song I can sit on? And I was like, okay. <laughs> started penciling people in. We had like um, guest singers on stage, yeah, guest guitar yeah. players. That was a blast. Well, you had Renee uh, from Leisure Hour. She did um, Hungry, Like the Wolf, and... Um, Lita Ford. Lita Ford song, yeah. And then uh, the Psycho Killer stuff, that that was great. Which Even we had you. it was in the 80s. Yeah, <laughs> you I, sang I, on I sang that one. on that. I helped sing. I messed <laughs> Jeff up, by the way, but uh, I sang on that one. But I thought the way that you, you guys did the end of that... Like as you kind of faded out, that was great. Was it? That was good. Awesome. Did you improv that, or was yeah. that like? Yeah, uh, that was that was the whole. We were just like, I, uh, jam a jam. Yeah, that was excellent. The way you guys uh, bled into that, but then we're not going to take it. You had a special guest guitarist. We did, and that's the guy sitting right next to me here. Our special guest in the studio. Oh fuzz, Mister <laughs> Micah Hanks. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been so long since I've addressed you from this location. A fortified oh, only since like November, really. Well, that's that's a year. Last. That's a year. Yeah. You know, annually is a long time. Well, we Actually, did have you for the election special. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, but in studio, it's been almost right. exactly a year because it was yep. December 20th, I think, we did the mm-hmm. big 100th anniversary episode or mm-hmm. 100th episode. That's right. Hallowed ground that we walk on here, the Conspiranable Podcast. What did you guys ever come up with a name? You know, I've got the bunker, and then and uh, certain other podcasters have started calling their facilities the bunkers. Also, I don't know where yeah, they we, got that we idea. We do have from. a name for this. We do have a name. Actually, we call it the Bighorn Studio. Bighorn Studio. There yeah, we go. Yeah, so glad to be yeah walking tall in the Bighorn Studio. Yeah, yep. back in Nashville town. Hey, and this time I had to bring some friends along. Yes, had please. to get things yes. had to get things real. So, by all means, introduce your friends. Let's go. Uh, let's go counterclockwise here. So, this gentleman right here uh, is an executive producer of my podcast, The Graylian Report, and uh, he has also been a, an in studio co host and also my confidant behind the scenes for many years. We've been known to engage in much uh, revelry and mischief, Mister Jeremy London, otherwise known as Mister Nasty himself. Mister Nasty, yeah. Who What's is, up, guys? He he is he is uh, up, not a native, but he's local to Nashville uh, yep. as of the last two years. I yeah, guess almost yeah, almost two years. Yeah, and he's always trying to get me to come over here and trying to get me to move here. And before long, who knows? I may have to relocate the Graylian bunker once it's all said and done. Because take I mean, a lot of digging. <laughs> yeah, well, fortunately, you know, there's that core of super deep borehole. We'll, we'll we'll get to work on the same kind of technology. The Hadel caves. The Hadel caves. Yeah, we can tap those caves. <laughs> Tennessee is 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 covered well below ground with karstic cave systems. So you know we can repurpose some of those. So I brought him along, but you know, often on my show, I talk about, and on this show, I've, I've mentioned, I've said, you know, I've I've got a lot of good friends in Tennessee, but there's another guy who I've wanted desperately to get on a show with me. I haven't even gotten him on the Graylian report yet. More my fault than anybody else's. And we're all out today enjoying some time together. And he says, hey, why don't we come out there and do this podcast? And I thought, <laughs> and the plan is coming together most perfectly. Well, this gentleman right here um, is one of the only individuals I can say I have uh, been with when a UFO appeared. And maybe we'll talk about that a little <laughs> bit later tonight. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, he, he's a person who's had a long interest in this kind of stuff. And I got to be honest, he has in, been involved with a lot of research I've done with regard to the more paranormal side of stuff back when I was really interested in that years ago. Now, as times change, we've both kind of taken a similar course and we've gotten more interested in history. And while I've gone underground, 
with the Graylian report and, and, and retreated to my bunker and studied mysteries of time, space, and, 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 you know, anomalies of science, you know, historical mysteries. This guy's gone completely mainstream. And I hope you don't mind me saying this fellow right here, he's the bass player traveling right now, going to military bases, concert halls, venues, stadiums, playing with three doors down the bassist of the band right here, Mr. Justin Bilton, my good pal. So welcome right here to the Bighorn Studios. Yeah. Welcome, Justin. Thanks Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, and and I'll tell you, it's it's no joke. He always gives the best stories. He's like, okay, I'm out there on the road. I'm out there on the road, and Chris and Brad and I, man, we're standing in this haunted, uh, you know, uh, studio or this haunted, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> next to a cemetery, or we're in a building, we're in a, in a in a theater, and something weird always happens. And he always tells the best stories. That's why I've always said, Justin, you got to be on podcast too. And then, of course, we've got other people here in, in the studio as well. Maybe not on the mic, but just uh, a little off. Miss Chris right there, the lovely lady, along with Mr. Bilton. And, and then, of course, our good friend Joe back over there, who is well-known to conspiratorial yes. podcasters. Yes, yes, he is. Joe yes. was the second guest on the show back in the day. So now uh, we raise our square hammer. Are you ready to swear yes. right here, right now? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Justin, let's, uh, let's talk about that UFO experience. Yeah. Um, what, what you guys experienced out there. How long ago was that? that? Yeah. Um, Jeremy, you don't even know this story, do you? I have, I have never heard this story. How have I never heard this story? <laughs> I, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> okay. So it uh, wasn't even flying. It how was, long ago was, was this, by the way, guys? Uh, it was probably six. I'd say about six about years six ago. Six years ago. Six, okay. seven years ago. Yeah. Um, I was still living in our hometown of Asheville, North Carolina. And um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, I think it was about 1230 at night, me and Micah and another friend of ours were driving around. Micah was driving. I was in the passenger seat, and our friend was behind me, and we were driving, just kind of talking. We'd been kind of cruising around Asheville. But not drinking. Not drinking. (laughs) No drugs whatsoever. Um, We were totally clean frame of mind, and we'd been driving up along the parkway, the Blue Ridge Parkway, and um, it was a totally clear night, and we'd gone far enough out of the city to where you couldn't see the town. It was just the mountains. Once you get up there, if anybody's ever been on the Blue Ridge Parkway, you can tell, like, as soon as you get past a certain point, you're in the wilderness and the sky opens up, everything opens up. You can see the mountains, you can see the, can't see any kind of um, light pollution from the town. And we were heading back towards town and there's two little sets of ranges. I can't remember exactly what the pull-off was, but you'll see these overlooks where you can stop and take pictures. And so there's usually like a little historical plaque. It tells you the name of the, the ridge and the elevation and stuff. And um, as we're pulling past that, me and the other passengers saw it at the same time. as this kind of dark red light out of the side of the mountain ridge that was shining like a slightly lighter red light down the side of the mountain. And at that point... Yeah, I did also saw it. I became aware of it, but here's how I became aware of this. And, and um, I'm driving, so I naturally am not looking. Matt Hickson, who was in the back seat with us, that's the other guy that was with us, okay. Jeremy. Yeah. Um, we're driving along on the Blue Ridge Parkway, and we get just beyond this um, this overlook, I guess, where you could see this thing, which was directly over the Mills River. Well, it wasn't really the Mills River Valley. It was it was a, a mountain range that there is an access road that comes up out of the Bent Creek Wilderness and it goes up over this mountain and down into the Mills River area. Yeah. Okay, that the mountain where this road goes and and turns from Bent Creek into Mills River is the mountain over which this light we you know we saw actually was was hovering or was fixed, however you want to call that. So as I get down past the location where we're able to see this thing. Um, 
both of these guys are quiet, Justin and Matt. And then Justin <laughs> goes, what was that? And then Matt goes nuts and says, I saw that too. Oh my gosh. So they're wanting me to turn around. <laughs> so we get down and they're, they're you know, uh, I almost said caves, but they're tunnels all along the Blue Ridge Parkway. So at the next tunnel, I stop. I just, there are no other cars. Nobody else was on the road. I don't think hmm. that not that I remember, you know, you no, was- yeah. Totally clear. I mean, it's like 1230 at night. So, And so I turn around, I do a, you know, two point turn and I go back up the, the, the road. And as we're going up, this puts the, uh, the, the, the point of origin for this light, whatever it was to our left, there was vivid light, red light coming through the trees. And I was so excited at this point because I'm thinking, wow, I'm going to see something. I'm finally going to, you know, have this experience and see something. And I'm not just saying I can see a little light. I mean, there's light streaming through the trees and we get up beyond the tree line and nothing. It's like shut off. Someone turned the switch off, then it was gone. And so I didn't see the object that Justin and Matt both saw, but I clearly saw the light. And I was so eternally frustrated because I'm one of these people, you know, people always ask me, Micah, you're so interested in this stuff. Have you ever seen a UFO? And I always have to say, no, I haven't, but I've come so close. It's yeah. <laughs> the closest thing that I've ever seen to anything like that out of the north. Do you have any kind of like speculation as to what you think it might have been? No idea. Um, well, I mean, really, um, I'll tell you what we could add to that, though, is, I mean, I don't think that uh, any of the three of us, Justin, Jeremy, and I, we're not people who look at this and say, then therefore aliens. I mean, they're, they're here visiting, you know, maybe, maybe they right. are, I don't know, but sure. when you see a light in the sky, the first thing I think, I mean, I'm open to possibilities, but the first thing I think is, okay, well, this could be some sort of a military technology. This could be, this keep in mind was years ago. I mean, before we had a lot of commercial drones and things like that. So I don't think it would be anything like that, but I mean, our minds aren't the types that gravitate toward, we saw an alien, you know, or something like that. So this was an experience that was unusual and by definition, an unidentified flying object. What Make of that what you will, but I mean, it was definitely one of the weirdest things in the location where it was that we saw it. And like so many people will tell you, you know, they'll have these weird experiences and then they don't think much about it thereafter. And I remember a couple of days afterward, we went down there hiking. Yep. We, we drove down <laughs> onto the trail. To see what was down there. Like we tried to find it and <laughs> find the bear instead. Yeah. <laughs> Justin and Matt and I go walking up this trail uh, near where we think we've seen everything. And then a bear, what fell out of a tree? Yeah, it was, a, it was a, probably like a teenage bear that climbed this tree. And uh, he goes, Oh, yeah, yeah. The, guy, the guys are behind me, and I throw my arms up, and I'm like, Wait. And this bear falls on the ground, looks at us, and just takes off running. And we're like, Okay, we've seen enough. Back to the car. Wow. So Such intrepid adventurers. <laughs> we walked up there, they were going to find, like, Oh, this like forest crop circle, and like. Burn trees and, but and instead like all you this found a bear. radiation or something. And it was a, it was a bear. We found a bear. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the bear was doing his own investigation. Yeah. Maybe that's what it was. Well, that, yeah, yeah, he was investigating. The well, the flashlight. Yeah, yeah, the flashlight bear. Yeah, yeah, that would have been the flare bear, right? Flare yeah, not to be confused with a uh, there bear or a stare bear. Or a bear. Maybe it was a baby squatch. A baby squatch. <laughs> a baby squatch. <laughs> what would you call a squatch bear? A squatchling? Squatchling. I would prefer to believe it's a baby squatch than a bear in a tree. It yeah. was a bear. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Maybe. Oh, oh no, now you too, huh? Yeah. yeah you think it was Justin? We were talking. To, we were talking That's a little bit. Uh, we were talking a little bit. History. Talking a little bit at lunch about some uh, some ghost stuff that the ghost stories that you have and some personal experiences there. Yeah. You want to care to relate any of those? Um. Yeah, I've had um a couple little random things here and there happen. Um. 
I don't even know if I'd necessarily like really deeply attribute it to sure. Paranormal, but just stuff that makes you go like, hmm, I wonder what that was. Yeah, that's weird. Um, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. We were um the one that I'm thinking of right now, we we're up in uh Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And it's a very old kind of steel town. Mm-hmm. And there's a casino that's built inside of this old steel mill. And right next door, there's this place that's like quintessential horror movie steel mill thing. Like, as soon as you drive up to it, you're like, there's somebody in there wearing a creepy mask who is cutting people up. It's like, <laughs> it's out of a horror movie. And I remember we'd, we'd parked the bus and me and our singer were up on the bus at the time. It was just the two of us up there. And we were sitting there talking. And the, the bus curtains for the bunks make a very distinct sound. When you hear them, it's like, shh, when they open. It's like the only thing on the bus that makes that noise. Yeah, kind of like the hydraulics yeah. noise. Yeah. yeah, and like when you've been on a, a tour bus long enough, like you, you hear that noise and you know exactly what it is. And we're sitting there talking, and like we had been talking about how creepy that building was. We're like, no, that place is haunted. I know it is. And then later on, we we're sitting there talking, and we heard one of those curtains go <laughs> wide open, and we both <clears> just froze because <throat> we knew we we're the only people on that bus. <laughs> We looked back, got up, like both of us just walked up and down the halls. We were looking and we were like, wow, that like something absolutely just opened one of those curtains and it was not either of us. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what it was like. It was just some kind of weird sound. It was just, it was a strange time and place. Well, I like the story you were telling, uh, you were telling us early, uh, earlier about, uh, your friend's house that has the, um, uh, so they said that they hear people in the house. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Brad's old house. Yeah, um, that old house. Uh, they they, you know, we hear some stuff um, from time to time. Whenever I'd go stay out there with them, um, they would hear, you know, TVs coming on, and like they they kind of always had um, various kind of weird experiences. It was an older home um, out in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Yeah, and uh, always kind of weird weird things that um, kind of made your hair stand on it. And like you'd, you would be in a place or you'd be in the house by yourself and hear movement. And you can sometimes attribute it to an old house settling or something, mm-hmm. but you know what a door opening and closing sounds like, you know what footsteps sound like. And you'd like, when I was there, you'd constantly hear different things. Like that. Would you ever hear voices like that inside the house and um, other people? Me personally at, at, um, this particular house, I've, I've never right. heard voices, but um, some other people had at different times heard uh, yeah. some different. Have you felt like, things. like that feeling, like you're never alone, yeah, in a certain um, place. You get those um, certain places like that, especially like in a in the older home that had been renovated multiple times. Like sometimes you'd be there and you'd think somebody was there, but you were actually there by yourself. Yeah. And, um, I don't know exactly what to attribute it to. Um, but yeah, there's definitely some kind of energy there, some kind of feeling that you definitely weren't alone. Maybe there's some kind of transient energy or some kind of like right. other, maybe it was just straight up old ghosts up in there just hanging out. Yep. There's definitely some kind of weird feelings. I understand too, Justin, you're uh, big into like World War II history and mm-hmm. kind of like a uh, World War II buff. Uh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> and then you got to go with the band. You got to go up to uh, to the Birch's Garden, to the yeah. Eagle's Nest. Yeah, that was, uh, we were just there um, a couple weeks ago. Um, it's about two hours outside of Munich. And um, it was funny because we all, like me and our singer and guitar player, are very much into World War II history. And uh, we kind of 
jokingly said this was our World War II tour. Uh-huh. So we spent we were in Germany for about two weeks, and we went all over Berlin. We were all over Munich, all over oh, very Cologne, cool. and yeah. just went to all these different places. We went to um, pretty much all the historic sites you could find in Berlin. We walked 12 miles a day just seeing all these monuments and stuff and found the old Fuhrer bunker and Brandenburg Gate. And then um, when we were in Munich, we we did the trip out to um, the Eagle's Nest, which is absolutely incredible. It's still standing up there. You go through the elevator and everything, and you're in the Alps and like one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. And then wow. Um, and these photos, by the way, that you showed us yeah. today, Justin, I mean, are some of the most enigmatic imagery. I mean, when he told it's a gorgeous me, area. when he told me the other day, you know, we went up there, we're at the Eagle's Nest. I mean, so much history. And by the way, Adam, we have your copy of John Tolan's uh, biography of Adolf Hitler here, because Adolf I, hope, Hitler. I hope to reference that later in relation to maybe some of what we'll talk about with, with regard to this. But Justin told me, he says, I'm standing up there and I mean, uh, the history associated with this place, uh, the negativity that, that, that I think many and rightly so mm-hmm. associate with that place. But he says the pristine beauty is different. And he says that you look over and the Alps are right there. And I thought, okay, cool. Then he shows us the pictures. He's not kidding. I mean, the Alps are like, are in your face. It's like you know? in the Alps. I mean, yeah, this is, is it a a majestic location. They cho- they chose that place for a reason, like either symbolically or yeah, tactically um, to protect themselves or whatever. But they were up there, like as gods over all these people mm-hmm. for a certain period of time, deciding the fates of millions of people. And it's it's eerie. And now it's it's just a restaurant, and people go up there all the time. There's <laughs> tourists going through there, and. Now it's um, just a casual place to grab lunch. Yeah. I mean, you go up there, you get your, your beer and a schnitzel, and you're like, hey, I'm... Well, I'm at Eagles Nest. And by the way, Hitler used and, to live here. Yeah. But you know, Justin, something that you mentioned, though, is that uh, as you're going up there, uh, many people in Germany, and this is an interesting phenomenon, the way that they interpret, um, I think, this kind of almost like a cultural sort of a guilt that they feel. Uh, many of them didn't want to have to go out to those locations with yeah. you guys and didn't even want to take you out there because they feel... Um, I guess you might call it a guilt, but I think that there's also just a heaviness that goes with being a, you know, a person who lives in this country and knowing the history of what happened here, Absolutely. Uh, you know, during the Reich. And so, I mean, I know that you experienced that with a lot of your guides who are yeah. taking you to these locations. As Americans, we would go to a country and say, this is fascinating and we understand the history, but the German people see it very and feel it very differently. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's, that's exactly it. Like you, you go to these places and, like as an outsider, you're like, oh, this is amazing. It's such a huge part of history. And there's certain folks that are like, I live next to this every single day. This, yeah. is, my, this is my work commute. This is my, right. like, I grew up next to this place. Like I'm sick of seeing this. <laughs> and they have to, like, they like obviously have to accept the history of it. But at the same time, they, they you know, probably get, I think get it's pretty good to- sick of seeing the, the same, like, tragedy over and over and yeah. over and over again. But it's I think it's good that it's there. Yeah, yeah it's, it's there as a reminder of what yeah. of what happened and what occurred. I think it's got to be there for every generation that comes up and every generation that goes to visit for yep. reason. They, it has to be remembered. It absolutely has to be remembered. So, what are your thoughts? Uh, Mike has told me that you're uh, big into like the whole. You like the the show on the was it History Channel, the Hunting yeah. Hitler. Yeah. Like, and we had the uh, the guy who wrote the book um, on it. Uh, Gerard Williams, mm-hmm. who's on the show, and it, that was a, <laughs> I can tell you, a really fascinating interview and a real fascinating. Uh, I actually watched the film that they made instead of reading the book. 
as he sent it to me to watch it. And that is a, something that is very interesting as to whether Hitler survived World War II or not. Yeah, I think it's... um. It fascinates me because it's, yeah. I mean, there's there's so many other high-ranking players in that the Nazi Party mm-hmm. who were involved in these world atrocities that got away. And yep. when you kind of dive into some of the, the other theories and stuff, it's it's not that far-fetched. It's not crazy. It's not like oh, this is like like he had some kind of time machine that got him out of there. It's not like that at all. It's like <laughs> they didn't he, save his brain or yeah, he's in Antarctica it's, it's or something like, like that. You like know? The reanimated yeah. corpses walking around and that's right. what that, like it's it's not that far fetched to me at least. And like once you like kind of dive into some of it and the way um, just how chaotic Europe and the rest of the world was at the time to think that like yep. these guys got away and like he could have been one of those. He, that, he totally could have been away. one of them too. Yeah. And, and and entirely plausible. I mean the the entire thing mm-hmm. the entire idea is entirely plausible in the way that it happened and then also the possibility that he just kind of died uh, or was eventually sidelined by whoever it was Borman or whoever it could have been that some of there's of course some speculation that Borman survived the war too yeah. but that he was eventually just sidelined and they began to go into other things that were more probably financial empires and monetary, uh, some monetary means. Um, and that he, the guy dies just alone and isolated in yeah. the middle of the, in the middle of the, what I guess close to the Andes, I guess yeah, somewhere, somewhere in, in South America. Where yep. the rest of them went. <laughs> well, you yep. know, uh, people often reference conspiracy, uh, you know, conspiratorial literature when they talk about this kind of a thing. And that's one of the, the first red flags. And so when people talk to me about uh, the idea of whether or not Hitler could have escaped, and you go, and I, we, we leave that question to history. But I think that with the historical uh, sciences, you know, we've got actual history, archaeology, whatever. What we're trying to understand is elements of of fact that cannot be directly studied. We can we can certainly glean evidence, but when we go back thirteen thousand years and try and study Ice Age man, we can find evidences of them that have survived throughout history. But we can't go and study it in a lab like we can do with biology or with physics or with chemistry. And so these are the problems with the historical sciences, and even something that less than a century ago. You know, this is fact it happened, but we're still trying to piece mm-hmm. together this narrative. And so when people come to this with skepticism and say, well, you know, okay, yeah, this is a wonderful conspiracy theory. Well, I refer to the first most authoritative uh, documentation of, you know, the life of Adolf Hitler, which is, of course, John Toland's biography, which I brought <coughs> along tonight, your copy here, Adam. And I'll just read a couple of excerpts here because some of what he wrote back in 1972 and this really, I think, put they, they frame the narrative in a way that not only uh, begs further questions, but I think that they kind of set the precedent for what the the mind of the U.S. intelligence services, the FBI, you know, uh, the Kremlin also, you know, during the, the the years of the USSR, what they were all thinking about the mystery of who is this man? Where did well, we know who he is, but where did he go? And, and what was his ultimate fate? And, you know, Tolan writes in the epilogue to the book, he says, in the death of the Fuhrer, it remained controversial and, and, and mysterious. And he says, you know, uh, for instance, we have news of his suicide was received with disbelief outside of, uh, you know, Germ- outside of Berlin, but news 
was was further uh, interpreted by some as being, in, you know, an assurance that he had escaped. Uh, there was this American counterintelligence agent, uh, agent. <laughs> I can't read tonight. I'm having one of those nights who had said that Hitler had escaped, he was safe, and he was well in Argentina. Stalin also professed doubt, and he had told Harry Hopkins that Hitler's end struck him as quote-unquote dubious. And we also had Hitler saying that he had, well, not himself, but had surely escaped and was in hiding among uh, or, or along with Bormann. And you, you skip ahead in this in this book, and you look at the way that the, the determination was actually made scientifically that he had escaped. And this passage from the book, it's quite interesting and striking because, of course, you've got this picture of Mussolini over here on the yeah, other page, uh, which is a rather interesting picture. But what, Which, by the way, is uh, where, where Otto Scorzani yeah. rescued him. And Jim Mars, in his book the four, about the, the Fourth Reich, mm-hmm. says that it wasn't Borman that right. started the, the whole organization. It was Scorzani. So, yeah. yeah, that's an interesting, interesting little side yeah. bar there. But what Tolan writes here, he says, you know, skeptics wondered why Stalin had spread the story in 1945 that Hitler had escaped, keeping in mind, again, this idea that even some in Russia had said that they thought that he may have escaped and he was living well in Argentina. And they write here, this idea that he had escaped and the story had been spread when he knew Stalin that the body had been found says they were not at all convinced by Bezminsky's explanation. And Bezminsky, i got to point out, is the journalist who had come out with the official narrative finally decades later, which had suggested that they had actually found him, that they had interred the remains. Uh, interesting about that, and as Tolan notes here, uh, they thought that they had found Hitler's body, but they found evidence of a cyanamide capsule in the jaw. But the telegrapher in the bunker and numerous others had said that they had heard a gunshot. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Stalin gets edgy and he says, okay, so he shot himself, but you found a cyanide capsule in the jaw. So were you looking at the remains of Hitler or not? Contradictory information. Yes. So they go back and they, they inter the remains and what ends up happening is they bring back this skull portion that has a bullet hole in it. And they say, here, this is evidence, and Stalin seems to be satisfied with this. But then decades later, it's determined that that portion that I believe was kept by the Russian National Archives uh, of a skull fragment with a bullet hole in it had belonged to a woman. not Right, a female. It was Mm -hmm. a female. Right, and I think it was the the, the Pennsylvania uh, scientists who had gone and and done this. And there was a History Channel documentary about that. So it's interesting because what they talk about here in this portion of of uh, Tolan's book, and I reference this again because if you want a good historical account of what happened to Hitler, many historians perceive this as being the definitive account of Hitler's life in his final days, as mentioned here. And he notes again, we have it here, neither reason, okay, talking about uh, essentially first it was re- resolved not to publish the results of this forensic medical report, but to hold it in reserve in case somebody might try and slip into the role of the, quote, Fuhrer saved by a miracle. And secondly, they said it was resolved to continue the investigations in order to exclude any possibility of error of deliberate deception. These are supposedly the two reasons why information about Hitler's demise was withheld for decades. And they go on to say that neither reason accounts for the wait of 23 years, nor was any explanation given for the destruction of the remains, which, of course, after the second uh, you know, removal of the remains, and then they carry those over. Supposedly what they said was, was going on, they didn't want someone to be able to, after the fall of the Berlin Wall... Uh, the remains of Hitler to be, you know, interred again and then, you know, idolized or made into some sort of a totem. And so they said that they dug them up and they carried them out into the, the, the country. They burned what was left and then they threw the ashes into a river and completely destroyed it. It does sound extremely fishy. And they say here again, you know, pictures of the corpse's dentures. Okay, had been kept on file, and in 1972, Dr. Rydar Sonia, a dental forensic expert from UCLA, discovered that these teeth exactly matched those 
Okay. In the x-ray head plates of Hitler that were taken in 1943, which Justin, of course, that was um, uh, von Schaffenberg, right? Uh, with the, the whole Operation Valkyrie, yeah, yeah. the film Valkyrie, Valkyrie's... Von Stauffenberg. Yeah, von Stauffenberg. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. Uh, starring uh, Tom Cruise, that film tells the story of an assassination attempt on Hitler. At that time, after that attempt, they had taken these these uh, x-rays of his head, and so those were kept on on file at the National Archives. And what they say here is that, again, this hard evidence, Dr. Saunier told the Sixth International Meeting of Forensic Sciences at uh, Edinburgh, proved beyond doubt that Hitler was dead and that the Soviets had autopsied the right body. Now, what's funny is they're saying this hard evidence, and they're talking about x-rays, had proved beyond doubt, but they had no physical evidence. And then the before his... X-rays that were taken, of course, yeah, before his death, which they said showed that dental bridge. But, you know, the thing is, is that, as Peter Lavenda has said, that was not really hard evidence. That was, again, an X-ray that was taken years before he was actually killed. And that was compared against what? You know, they didn't have a dental bridge to compare that against. Did they? they compared that against, apparently, as I understand it, the testimony given by the assistant to the dentist who had worked on Hitler, who had horrible teeth, by the way. Okay. Dental bridge, you know, all kinds of partials, all kinds of things like this. And that was the hard proof. That was the hard evidence that they said offered conclusive proof of the fate of Adolf Hitler. And as Lavinda and others have said, I mean, it really doesn't give us, I mean, he may have died there. I'm not saying he didn't. I'm just saying that if that's what you call hard evidence, you know, that sounds in a lot of ways, hardly scientific to me. Mm-hmm. Am I crazy, Jeremy? No, not crazy at all. Sounds like, <laughs> sounds like convenient. It, it does, yeah. It, it's very convenient. You probably can't hear me because I'm like all the way back here. Yeah, you should get on your microphone. <laughs> Jeremy, get on your microphone. <laughs> I'm leaning. Lounging. Down lean in a back. hole. Lean back. So, but you it, can it, hear again, the guy from 10 miles away. Yeah. But, but, you know, again, I referenced that because... If you really read the epilogue, and I, I'll tell anybody, you know, please, you know, read John Toland's um, a biography of Adolf Hitler. And in that epilogue, he seems to, nonetheless, you know, I, th- I think he goes with the expectation that, yes, we can accept the historical narrative here that Hitler died in the bunker. But he raises some of these questions. And throughout all this are the questions of why did they withhold the information? Why was Stalin so suspicious? You know, this was what they called hard evidence. And yet, so many years in between all of them. 23 years, yeah. yeah. It, you know, it, it, is this really the best evidence that we have? That's the only evidence we have, guys. And that yet is, of course, what they base their history on. So I say, read the, the, the work of the historian in the history book right there, and you tell me if that's good evidence. Yeah. I would question it. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, and also, too, there was there was, there was things that he obviously, when he wrote that book, that he didn't know about, right? Because, you know, I, I watched a documentary about, the Eastern Front during World War II called uh, Russia's War on the Snow. Um, and it was uh, Blood on the Snow is what it was called. And they actually, at one point towards the end, uh, they show in some museum or in the Soviet archives, the bone fragments, the skull fragments. And I looked it up and later, yeah, that was, but this documentary was made in the early nineties, late eighties, early nineties. So then by, I think what you said was 95 that they actually proved that that was a. Well, later than that, I think it was early 2000. Yeah. 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 2009, wasn't it? Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was much later that it was actually proven that that was not Hitler's skull. So all these people that saw it for so long thought it was Hitler's skull. The other uh, part in our interview and, and actually the, when uh, Gerard Williams sent me this as part of the package was the recording uh, I believe the guy's name was Thomas Coddle, Caudell, who was a BBC journalist that was embedded in with some of the Soviet troops. 
and that were storming in the bunker in, I guess this would have been early May, 1945. Yeah, that was the Russian third shock yep. army that came in and actually captured the bunker yep. there at the very end. Yeah, and he, he was he on site. Explicitly, explicitly says that what they found, they found a body double. Mm-hmm. He says it looks like a bad body double. But that was something that I had absolutely no idea of till Williams sent that to me. After all that time studying World War II, I'd never heard that. Well, you never really get the Russian narrative. You always get the yeah. American narrative in history classes. That's a very good point, right. Jeremy. The Russians were the ones that, that were there. I mean, they were. Yeah. yeah. That's a funny point, by the way, uh, because, again, the, the the portion of skull that was found in the Russian National Archives that was tested and determined to be a woman's skull with a bullet hole in it, which had been, I feel, they just pulled up whatever, whatever they could from the alleged remains of Hitler, Ava Braun, mm-hmm. uh, who recently, strangely, uh, purported nude images have, uh, uh, yes, this is- Arised of, <laughs> of Ava Braun, of all you things. pervert. No, no, it's, you got to keep in mind, I've got filters for all these kind of things when I'm doing the Grayley and Daily News. When I'm doing the Grayley and Daily News, and so- Hitler, Yeah, so Hitler, no, 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 Hitler. Hitler and things like that show up, and so now you got to keep in mind the Daily Mail reported the Hitler, the Daily Mail reported on this, and it was interesting in a photo collection, uh, images of Ava Braun, you know, sunbathing and you know hanging out at the lake one day, purportedly have emerged. So, actually, I look at that rather than being you know classic erotica, I, I see that as being you know interesting historical information about uh, you know I mean I mean you know very very candid yeah. photos of Ava like Braun. a lover's documentation so, of, sort of yeah, yeah. which you could infer well who took the photos. That's what I was yeah, thinking, and so yeah, I, I found that very interesting you know because anything in terms of the historical context that we don't have about this is fascinating to me Uh, but you know getting back to the point again the russian narrative Uh, the russians after the examination of the skull fragment with the bullet hole found in it which i presume if they found it to be of a woman and we know that ava brown no no she wasn't shot she took the cyanide capsule so we know that that couldn't have been ava brown uh if brown brawn ava brawn if the narrative holds up and uh, arguably i think that one could say that there are questions that could be asked but what we do know is that the Russians maintain that that is Hitler's skull, despite what the science says. So as far as we don't get the perspective from Russia, what's interesting is that there's completely contrasts with what Western science says about the fate of Hitler and what we've been able to determine scientifically. So, you know, I wonder what else they would say. I know that the dent, the, the actual dental remains that Sonia based his study on, okay, are being kept in what was formerly, I guess, the KGB files. KGB hasn't been an organization since the 1990s, I don't think. Uh, those, those have not been studied. That would be the hard evidence that I would think could actually conclusively, you know, nail this and end this dispute. But the Russians haven't released that information. So I don't think they ever will either. Probably won't. No. But the question is, what are they hiding? Why well, if it's contradictory to what what they've, ha- said. what they've said and what what that narrative has been since you know the forties, then that's a big problem. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, but but again, to me, it's like it, 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 there are political uh, reasons why obviously they want to control the narrative. And and unfortunately, as a result, you got to keep in mind again, Bezminsky, the the journalist who had written um, and, and and put out that first rather, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it was kind of a flamboyant kind of retelling of the alleged last days and the discovery of the remains after the Third Shock Army comes in. You know, again, we look at these Russian sources. Can they really be trusted? I think uh, controlling the narrative at, at that time was actually kind of the point. And maybe still is. Maybe still is. And like that, you know, like you take. The time and the place of everything, like Berlin was a complete mm-hmm. destroyed war zone. Like I don't think anybody at any time, especially in forty five, would be able to go out and do a like real crime scene investigation. Yeah, utter chaos. These two places, yeah. and, and like and, and like you're thinking about, like it wasn't 
it wasn't like our modern day crime scene going in and checking out these bodies and finding all the information. It was like right. this, this, it was an army group that went in and they were like, yeah. they just got done destroying Berlin, fighting, like ending the war. They weren't forensic scientists exactly. that, that, that went in there and actually so made these determinations. Yeah. They found these two things, these two bodies. Maybe it was a body double. It totally fit the narrative. They were like, hey, like there's still pockets of resistance all over. There's like the crazy, you know, like the um, golden werewolves or something. It's like the, that super SS dudes that were out in the woods. Like we're going to do guerrilla fighting. <laughs> we're going to raise the Reich again. Like yeah. let's keep doing this. Yeah. And, and Hitler being dead. Completely like that headline ended the war. Like in in <clears throat> Europe, when when they were like, "Hey, it yep. was dead." Everybody's like, "All right, cool. Like, well, we're, here, done, we're done." Here's a question for you: uh, uh, Do you think that there? Do you guys think that there was any kind of uh, collusion between <clears throat> whoever it was that brought Hitler out? And also maybe like the CIA or the FBI. Oh, when you uh, say who brought Hitler out, I mean, what, are you, what are you talking about? Oh, I mean, uh, just the people like the, the Nazi apparatus, that uh, that apparatus that kind of moved from Germany into South America. What was, um, was that Odessa? Was that the group the, the They probably would the have been part that, of it. Like, they, yeah. they helped them. Nazis get out of your... Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, working to try and spirit them away. I mean, you know, I guess the idea being this, uh, you know, with certain ties to the papacy, you know, in the Rome, you mm-hmm. know, Church of Rome, uh, you know, the idea essentially that the godless Russians, you know, well, you know, helping <laughs> helping one group is better than helping another. And so well, and there was a book written about that, by the way, that was called Hitler's Pope, which is an yeah. interesting historical account of how... It was Pius XII. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, and how they absolutely it, assisted. But, do you think that there was any kind of... Well, do you think there was any kind of vested in interest in keeping Hitler around that maybe we knew about it, but we just didn't say anything. Cause there is that, that subtext in the film version of his book where he talks about the fact that, that, that he was there and it was known by certain high up authorities in the United States government or in the intelligence agencies and that they could always use that in some way, maybe pull him out again in case there was a war with the Soviets or something like that. You know, I'm not really sure. Uh, I know that that seems to be something that like in Tolan's biography, he kind of echoes that he's concerned about uh, the idea that um, – I think there's always been this concern that the Reich might rise again. You know, I mean, Jim Mars, you know, wrote that book, Rise of the Fourth Reich. Right. Uh, I think you've got a copy of that. Yeah, I do. And really, that's what's kind of interesting about all this is that, uh, you know, Nazism after the fall of National Socialism in Germany in 1944, uh, sadly, has lived on. And we were just, um, I was going to bring that up. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, go ahead. We we went to visit Dachau in Munich. Uh Um, There's the work will set you free. Yep. The big moniker, I guess it was over a lot of the. Concentration. Yeah, or by mocked fry. Yep. The, uh, what everybody saw whenever they walked in, and it was on the gates. Um, I think it just Auschwitz recently, too. Just recently in Dachau, um, the big sign was stolen by a Nazi party in Dachau really just about two years ago, and they can't find it because they went in there, hacksawed it off of the. It's the original sign that was there, and it's still. How in the um, world would they be able to? That you'd think there'd be security. Almost sounds like an inside job. (laughs) But but that just shows that there's still, even you know, seventy years later, there's still some groups, some younger groups coming up that like either think it's cool or they are totally into the idea of being a Nazi and they think it's great for whatever reason, and they're acting on it in some way. Um, 
by really stealing a major piece off of a memorial. I mean, you know, that just mystifies me that, I mean, there are two ways that Nazism lives on. I mean, there there's the idea of the conspiracy, you know, well, this is more, I guess, something that conspiracists would, would be fond of, the idea of the actual escape of Nazis after the end of the war. Uh, but then there is, again, the ideology and how it resurfaces and how people, I mean, many are concerned, and I don't really see things like this in America right now. I think there's a lot of kind of, um, you know, uh, inflammatory kind of, you know, um, uh, you know, overblowing of, of emotion and things like that, that that are likening American politics to being, you know, the rise of national socialism. It's just the same thing. And I think that really, if you understand history, what we're seeing in America right now is as far from that as you could possibly imagine. It may not be good in all ways, but it's, it's you know, some of the things that we're seeing in the world right now are not necessarily World War II all over again. So let's just say that. But the idea that these ideologies can exist, I always, you know, would liken it to Lord of the Rings in the sense that like, when I was a kid, I would read these books and I was fascinated with the idea that the Sauron character could exist without a body. I mean, he, he had at one time been an actual physical creature, like a, a, you know, this, this, this monster, but, but by the time it's all said and done, Jeremy, wow, he is like really doing some interesting uh, <laughs> spider monkey. Spider-Man <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. yeah His name like, isn't Spider-Man. It's Spider-Man. Sp- Spider-Man. Yes. 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 Jeremy Spider-Man here, but, but, um, His name isn't Spider-Man. <laughs> But again, you know, I mean, with the Lord of the Rings books, uh, by the time that, you know, everything's happening in, you know, the, the, the three primary books that Tolkien wrote, the Sauron is, is, you know, more this kind of a feeling. He's more this kind of an essence that people fall behind. What's so frightening about Hitler, I think, is that rather than the actual escape of Nazis, and I don't know if this really addresses your question entirely, so I apologize, but this is an important point. So follow my lead, okay, Adam? The thing is, is that, you know, <laughs> sure, Mark. I, I, think that, I think that the idea that there is a Hitler, obviously, even if he escaped, he is no longer, but he was at one point. And what that man was doing in his ideals terrifying as this is, this is something that people fall into, I think, this kind of a romantic way of thinking about. And they, 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 they almost, you know, hold this in reverence and they see this as being something that is, you know, it becomes idealized and it becomes romanticized. And Nazism, much like Sauron and his influence over Middle Earth in the, in the Lord of the Rings books, it lives on. That's what's terrifying to me is the idea that, you know, the Nazi ideal is something that absolutely could resurface, which is... You don't need, you don't need those main characters. Yeah. Started. You don't have to have a villain. Like they already did the damage. They have the idea out there. Your villain could be an ideology, you know, which is you don't you don't need you know Hitler Hitler like whoever like whatever Nazi party guy there. You don't actually need them physically there to start it up. And see, that's like once the cat's out of the bag. Ideas there. Mm People it, can run with it. It's a nebulous concept, but I mean, if you think about that in terms of like the broader like narrative about, you know, good versus evil, you know, that's why Jeremy and, and uh, Justin and I unite together as a trifecta of, of pure goodness. Evil. Pure evil, yes. Pure, uh, <laughs> right. We raise our square <laughs> hammer and we ask you to swear right here, right now, yes, because we're, we're actually the good guys. We just look bad because we're rockers, you know, but, you know, but the good guys wear black. Earth rockers, right? We're earth rockers, earth yeah, rockers. exactly. We're earth rockers. Yeah. Now, all kidding aside, I think it's important to really kind of delineate between what is good, what is evil, and know that. Evil doesn't have to have a name or a face behind it because once once someone finds that ideology appealing in any way, in any fashion, you know, Hitler rises again, and that's terrifying. And this is something that I think that even politically in America today, this is why there's so much unrest. It's not that people think that, you know, one candidate or another is the next Hitler. It's that they, they know that there's this lingering, you know, ability for that to resurface. 
it happened once and it could certainly happen again. So, right. I mean, I think that's what we learn from history is we study all this to try and know the warning signs and try it's to interesting. Yeah. You know, the, the phrase, you know, those, those are who don't know history are deemed to, re- are doomed to repeat. Absolutely. It. Uh, yeah. In many ways, you can almost make that synonymous with the Holocaust and what happened with Nazi Germany. Yeah. That's the big one. Oh, that's the big. That's the big one that people. When you ever hear that phrase, that's what. That's what nine times out of ten people are talking. And about. I, th- I think it could be applied to other things in history oh, too. Absolutely. But, again, I agree. You know, but something else, Justin, that I said to you earlier today. But is that's that, the most open wound. I think. What is the most open wound? And it should be. I mean, yep. I'm sorry. The deaths of of you know hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, you know. Well, you know. Throw numbers out the uh, out the window. Let's just talk about genocide in general. You know, I mean, all these issues: genocide, human slavery, you know, human trafficking. You know, uh, all of these issues. These have been with us since time immemorial. And I said to you earlier today, Justin, I said, you know, the thing that's so scary. You were talking about what was the series that you're watching right now? The uh, World War II in HD. Yeah. And you know, where they colorize it and it's in HD. What's so fascinating? Have you watched these? No, I haven't. These no. are incredible. You watch I mean, these and. You, you see World War II, and it's not just black and white fuzzy video. All of a sudden, it's clear HD footage. It's in color, and it looks like it was filmed yesterday. And technology affords us a view of the past that all of a sudden doesn't make it look like it was. It's personal stories, too. It's not just like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Here's some guys storming a beach. It's like, this is the guy with his memoirs. You're seeing, like, you're seeing this firsthand account. And he's still alive today. Yeah. Well, and some you, of them are. But, um, and you hear these stories, I mean, and you realize, well, you know, World War II isn't like hundreds of years ago. This is Napoleon. This isn't Alexander the Great. This was something that happened decades, not hundreds of yeah. years, decades ago. I mean, we could have people in here speaking with us right now who were in. Yeah. My grandfather. Who did like extraordinary things, who went through incredibly horrific times. Yeah. And they're still alive. They're here. They can tell their stories. And I think that's why it's, it's so fascinating and why it's like really captivated so many generations after the fact is because like my, my, I remember stories from my granddad. You remember stories from my grandfather too. Yeah. You know, my, one of my biggest concerns is, is that when we lose that generation, when we don't have that, um, living memory anymore, whether then we're going to, people are going to start more and more, start talking about war and how it's a good thing. And we're going to, we're going to, I totally agree because, um, it is a little bit different, but you think about like world war one, yep. it was a hundred years ago. Exactly. Um, all those veterans of that war are dead. Yep. Because it's, it's just time. It's a numbers game. So, like, and like we're rapidly really, like, losing like much, World War II generation. Taught, how much do we know? How much of our generation really understand World War One? Because it was just far enough back to where, like, I, I didn't know any family members that fought. I know I had um, some great, great family members that fought in World War One, but I, I had no connection with them whatsoever. Yep. I feel like World War Two is like that. That one that was just far enough away that like I had a connection, had a reason, I had, like I understand it. And World War One, it's just like the like our American Civil War. Like we may have had family members fought in, but it's like it's so long ago. That so it's, remote. It's almost like it's just a. Oh, and it could stories. never happen again. Yeah. yeah. It's you almost know, just stories. Like, this, yeah, like oh, that's crazy. Realizing like, that, that you know we were talking about it when we were when we were eating dinner is that you know they were showing on TV some things from the Pearl Harbor. And realizing that yeah, that's 75 years ago now. Well, you know, I just got to say, and maybe this is a bit of a plug, but, uh, and I've told you this too, Jeremy. I mean, you know, Justin, you played on 4th of July with Three Doors Down yep. at Pearl Harbor. 
Uh, we're coming up on the 75th anniversary of the Pearl Harbor attack, you know, which is what brought the United States into the war. And I got to say, for a lot of people, we're so out of touch with the reality of the war that actually took place. And I, I, I not only respect the fact that you guys, you play at military bases, you go out and you do this, and you're involved, and 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 they appreciate you guys too for bringing you know talent and art and music, you know, and frankly, you know, it was, uh, you know, celebration to these locations in remembrance and celebration of uh, the victories and. And the battles and the, and the you know the, the you know the, the bright and the dark that is associated with these times in, in history. So you've got a kind of unique perspective on that, especially for somebody our age who's gone to one of these locations and who sees and who has has been there and felt. Oh my gosh, you've looked into the water and seen the wreckage of the remains of the ships that were sank that brought us into the greatest conflict in modern history. I mean, that is incredible to me, first yeah. of all. And it's Talk incre- about a connection to history. And that's what's so special it's, about I what mean, you. I mean, it's, it's living history. Like you're seeing yep. it. And um, I wish everybody could could travel the way that we do. And um, as I mentioned earlier, like we we kind of did a a reverse way of that. And like I think I mentioned before, like my it was cool to me because my in '44 when my grandfather joined the Navy, he shipped out of Pearl Harbor, fought all through the Pacific, he got to Okinawa, got tattooed. I kind of went backwards, I got tattooed in Okinawa. We played and then went down um, to Pearl Harbor for a couple of days, so we got to see you know. A, pretty wide scope of that history from, from both sides in the Pacific. And um, I don't know, it's just, it, it's, it's fascinating. It's amazing to see it up close, see how people have just kind of lived around it too. It's really interesting how life goes on no matter yep. where it is. And those places are memorialized, but you know, there's, there's people there, there's, there's, there's life happening. There's, there's people moving around it. Um, I don't know. It's 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 really it's reverent and amazing. Seeing seeing it on that scope was really really cool. I'm I'm very fortunate to get to do what, what I did. Mm. Ah. Rob, you got any thoughts on this? <laughs> Hello, Rob. <laughs> oh, hey guys, how's it going? Um, with the natty light. Yeah, uh, Where I did had. you get that? <laughs> Jeremy, I didn't bring the nutty light. Probe this, this man. Is, find out where those came from. This is Give me your screwdriver. Remnants yeah. from last night's party. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. I don't even know. <laughs> All so, right. Give me that back. Yeah. Please put that. That just freaked me out. I was like, what is going on? I thought the computer was we crashing. Had light, we had to lighten the mood a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen, listen, listen. On the heels of a historical discussion, all of this is very important. And for people who say that, you know, the the whole, you know, hunting Hitler stuff is just ridiculous because it's conspiracy theory. You know, there's so much dogmatism among modern academicians, scientists, historians. I think that we have to ask questions, and especially when you can refer to good historical documentation, whether it be Tolan's biography or the FBI documentation, and there's equal... Uh, calls for question uh, as to the official historical narrative. I've, we have to ask these questions. Absolutely, you know? and I can't speak to um, you know whether or not Hitler is alive. Like the the first really time I ever got into this was when you know we had a guest on the show and dove into this like about a year ago. So, but it, as far as whether it's okay to question these things and you know kind of dig in and say that. Could this be a possibility? Could this be a possibility? Especially when we're talking history, because, you know, as I think you said earlier, um, 
it was it was Russia that was the, even there, you know. So it's like we're, we're getting second, like second, third hand, right. fourth hand. It's like playing telephone. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. And 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 so to, to say that it's ridiculous to dig into it and question it is just ridiculous as well. So absolutely. Sorry, we're over here taking yeah, selfies. Right. Yeah, we we, we got to get, we, we, <laughs> look at Jory. We got to get the cover this photo is, for this, this episode. This, right. Yes, right. This, this is historical. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, historical yeah, think, stuff happening right there. With, with anything regarding World War II and the Nazis, I think like why they were hunted for decades afterwards, and why people are still like like I can't even remember the one that um, just got caught. I think it was somewhere here that was like ninety eight or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's, that's yeah. unreal, isn't it? Like to think about that. Yeah, people, especially in that situation, deserve <laughs> justice. They need to know what happened. What happened to these people that caused this? Mm-hmm. And I think that's why um, it didn't just go away, why it hasn't just gone away, because there was enough holes in it for people to be like, I want to know for a fact what happened to this guy, because it was horrible what he did. Right. What well, he caused, and what he started. Absolutely. And, and you know, we had, um, I mean, the few things I do know about this were, you know, we had Operation Paperclip. We were taking their engineers, their oh, yeah. scientists. Totally. Yeah. But there was other countries. That's not like a crazy... We can no, talk no, about no. Some stuff, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> but but there there was other countries that were just sympathizers that were yeah. extraditing them, and you know, um, was it was it Argentina? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a, that's one of the well, ones. Yeah, Juan Perón, you know, declaring Chile. war. Yeah, Juan Perón actually uh, declaring war on Germany toward the end of the war, so that they could actually land their planes, come in, and prospectively, I guess, spirit some of the Nazis out. Um, absolutely, yeah, we're working with and, and, and you know, really, I think, in favor of those Nazi ideals and bringing certain scientists back after the fact. So. Right. And so, so we know all of that went down, which, I mean, it's just a tiny step mm-hmm. from there to, to Hitler. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and the other tiny step is, is we know for a fact that high-ranking Nazis made it to Argentina and other oh, places. Oh, like Barbie, the butcher of Leon. You yeah, know, we have unquestionably uh, they they lived out their lives there. Joseph Mengele, you know, yeah, the angel of death, dope. one of the most atrocious. I can't drop that f bomb on this program. I wouldn't, <laughs> guys. But if but I could, you know I would. Word he's saying, and yeah, you you know what word I'm saying, and I would absolutely use it for Joseph Mengele. And I hope that I hope that here's a here's another bomb that I won't drop. The B bomb. I hope he burns in H. Oh God, this sounds so kindergarten right here. But I mean, you know, I mean that. Uh, again, this is the importance of the discussion of these things. This isn't just conspiracism at its finest. This is What's, you need to understand the importance of the horrors that were enacted by yeah. these human beings. They were humans, and so are we. And we could do the same. Hopefully, nobody will. But this is very important to understand and well, must not be forgotten. The scariest must monsters out there are humans. the kind the kind that walk on two legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Squatch. <laughs> Squatch. Yeah, yeah, Squatch. Yeah. Baby Squatch. Squatch. Uh, Squatch. Squatch. Mike, Spider-Man. I want to get your Spider-Man. thoughts. I want to get your thoughts on something. I know that you've covered this on both Greenland Report and Middle Theory and you were talking about human trafficking you mentioned that so and about conspiracies what do you think about this whole Pizzagate thing I want to do a little more on this at some point Pizzagate and, talk, and explore this? it but I got it since you're here I, I got to get you no thoughts idea on what it. you guys I, you know. I somehow knew this was going to come up tonight oh boy. yeah this is the new this is the new hotness yeah, Pizzagate unfortunately I wish it weren't uh, Justin are you following this I'm, I know a little bit about it <laughs> like I don't like I'm not even going to chime in just no I, okay. I, 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 I'm the same boat I know enough to be like sound dumb and be dangerous I know <laughs> I'm happy to talk. Yeah, I can talk about this. You know, I may, I may need some more rum before. Well, it's I probably have. good to be blissfully <laughs> unaware about it, honestly. But 
Well, it's so if if any of it is even partially true, it's so horrible that I don't want to think about it on any kind of like, yeah, you know, in any kind of depth or capacity whatsoever. Well, so. I hope I hope in in, in one way I can qualm uh, you know qualm some of those fears, but by the same token, I mean you know there is a lesson to be learned from this. So here's here's the story. Toward the end of the election. We had a strange uh, situation. Well, this was an ongoing situation for the last several years, but especially during this election, um, the, the influence of Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. Okay, and Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. Uh, you know what they were able to do during this election in terms of the release of information about the democratic process and the inner workings of these political campaigns. It, it was quite unprecedented. I mean, we have not had in recent memory a situation where you know, powers external to the United States government were able to influence the U.S. election, and this was their express intent and purpose. And you know, many were asserting that this was Russia, and I'm, I'm maybe I'm one of the outliers on this, but I have not seen credible evidence yet that Russia was involved with yeah. the information that was supplied to WikiLeaks. And furthermore, Same here. furthermore, and again, you know, I think some people would just say I'm an I'm an idiot conspiracy theorist for saying that, but but let me just say this, okay. I think that while we have to be, you know, and I'll say this too, coming from a perspective where initially I had said, naturally, if the Russians were involved, our U.S. intelligence sources must have good information that they're basing this information on, uh, or this this extrapolation that they're, you know, coming out and that, you know, we have political candidates, you know, both Trump and Clinton were saying this. Um, uh, Clinton was was more saying it, I think, that, you know, that they favored Trump, and Trump was saying, of course, that I don't know Putin, and furthermore, that Putin, you know, disrespects America and the political process, so nobody was really speaking favorably of of uh, 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 Putin, and, and I'll say this further of Putin, that Putin had... Uh, been you know kind of pegged as being a trump supporter and i think that uh, farid zachariah during a, a open discussion with him you know at a, a international summit had had asked him and you can look this up on youtube he said you know you said that he was a brilliant person what do you why do you why do you say that and his initial response putin is eh. and he starts speaking in russian and the translator says what i said was that he was a bright personality not brilliant so i wonder if there wasn't actually a a, a mistranslation, a mistranslation. Yeah. absolutely and and zachariah stood by the fact that he said that the translation that I read said that he was brilliant, according to your words. So if I mis if if I misrepresented what you said based on a mistranslation, that's one thing. But this was what the official transcript said. So I think that a lot of what the media was working with was kind of misinterpretation of the fact that they thought that Putin and and, and Russia were all behind Trump. When in fact it could have been certain you know dialogue and and, and actual vocabulary and and issues with with translation. Now what does this have to do with Pizzagate? You got to understand that politically, all of these things kind of fit into the narrative in terms of well, what was the outcome of the election versus who was trying to steer this election. We don't know necessarily, according to any kind of factual data, whether Russia, apart from speculation, and it may even be reasoned and informed speculation, but that is speculation nonetheless. We don't have any evidence, to my knowledge, that Russia has been unequivocally uh, uh, connected with what was happening during the election in terms of the information released by who? WikiLeaks. So that's the only other source that we have. Now, Certain uh, intelligence insiders have suggested that it was actually people within Washington who were releasing the information to Assange and WikiLeaks, which is interesting to itself. So the furthest back we can really trace this information is WikiLeaks and Assange. And what they have released, of course, is information that, yes, shows that there was certain favoritism and that there were things that were shown within Democratic Party emails. Very little was shown about Trump, and that maybe does certainly you know expose a certain degree of bias. 
But within some of the emails that were released from the, the, the Democratic Party and more importantly, the Hillary Clinton campaign, John Podesta, a guy I actually kind of like. I actually like Podesta. Okay, and I'll tell you why, because he's been a, a staunch advocate for less government secrecy as it relates to the UFO subject over the years. He wrote the foreword for Leslie Kane's book, UFOs, Government, uh, uh, or Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record. Um, that was a great book about UFOs by a, an award-winning journalist and a, and a damn good one, too. Podesta wrote the forward for that and going all the way back to Bill Clinton's campaign. You know, I don't look at things on party lines. I'm an unabashed centrist, you know, and Podesta, you know, he, he has worked very hard to try and, you know, remove the kind of level of, of, of secrecy that is applied to the study of unexplained aerial phenomena. So, so there's some more into that. <clears throat> This has always made him interesting to me. And then WikiLeaks comes along during this election and releases some of his emails. And we find numerous things of interest. One, correspondences, uh, correspondences between Podesta and uh, Tom DeLong, DeLong yeah. Yeah, of, of Blink-182. Well, what's <laughs> funny is, now see, now, okay, so uh, full disclosure, my brother Caleb actually worked for Tom DeLong for a couple of months. And uh, Tom called Caleb on the telephone. Tom called Caleb on the phone and everything and hired him to work and do art for his website and all this. You remember? I remember. Yeah. yeah and. Um, and uh, that was to the stars media. And then they amicably released everybody from, from, you know, their positions and kind of changed gears and did, went in a different direction with things. And when they did, that's when they put out this book called secret machines co-authored with, um, Oh gosh, what's his name? The, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, Shakespearean professor from UNCG. No, no, UNC Charlotte actually. So it's down your way, Chris. Yeah. But, uh, AJ Hartley. So, the forward, of course, is written by Tom DeLonge. Uh, ideally, A.G. Hartley writes this novel. It's a fictional novel based on true events that has to do with UFOs. Um, and then the the afterward is what kills me. Peter Lavender writes the afterward in the book. Did you know this? Yeah. Peter Lavender writes the afterward, and so I immediately... Which he's em- writing another book for Secret Machines. He's coming out with it. Well, he's already written it, but it's publishing in February. When I finished the book, which was sent to me by uh, the people from To The Stars Media because they asked me to review it because Caleb used to work for him and because Jason McClellan also worked for them, and they went to Jason and asked him, you know, who would you like for us to send copies to? Jason asked me, he said, Micah, would you like a copy of this? And I said, oh, yes, please. And so I got a copy and I read the thing, you know, I think you've seen it on my bookshelf. Yeah, I haven't read it yet, but yeah, I'll lend it to you. Actually, it's, it's, it's well worth reading Secret Machines, Volume One, Chasing Shadows. But Peter Lavender writes this afterwards. So I immediately after finishing the book, write to Peter Lavender. I say, Pete, OK, a few things I want to share with you. I'm, I tell him all about my brother. I tell him I didn't get a response. Yeah. And, and normally Pete is. You know, he, he usually responds pretty quickly, but I haven't I haven't heard from him in months. But I know Joseph Farrell said the same thing. OK. That was one thing, okay, that came out in these WikiLeaks emails that Tom DeLong had been contacting John Podesta and that Tom had wanted to schedule a meeting with Podesta and one of Tom's informants who he identifies as Major uh, General William McCasland of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, who oversees essentially 1,100 like employees, no, I'm sorry, 11,000 employees within the U.S. Air Force Science, you know, Research and Development Divisions. Which is someone that DeLong was trying to keep secret right. identity. DeLong yeah. refers to a person in in secret machines as being, quote unquote, the scientist. He says, we'll call this guy my informant, the, the scientist. I think that was General McCasland. WikiLeaks actually ousted this guy. And the WikiLeaks emails also have a number of other weird things in Podesta's emails, which include weird, numerous references to pizza, like... 
you know, John, you left a, a you left a, a, a handkerchief at the house the other day that had a map that referred to pizza and things like this, and all these references to pizza. And so, redditors and all these people, uh, you know, on on 4chan and different websites began looking at the Podesta emails that were leaked by WikiLeaks, and they're going, "What? What are all these weird, um, you know, just just, just pizza references? Pizza references? I mean, just just, well, just it was. Pizza I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but they 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 did this like um. What were the three most common terms throughout these like I can't like eighteen hundred emails or whatever? Yeah, it was like whatever pizza, obscure, hot dogs, pizza, hot dogs, and I can't remember what the third. And one another was. one was about a certain kind of sauce. But that was like three yeah. of the most common things that came up, and like you know, in daily day conversations, say me and Micah, if we had a transcription of everything that you and I have ever said to each other, how often did pizza and hot dogs come up? Uh, that's an interesting question because I mean, between you and I, I mean, ideally it wouldn't have come up very often, probably. Right. Yeah. But but the, but for for but for that to be the most common. Yeah. Thing they think to it's come like up? code words for it, it, exactly. They thought it was code words for, for something yeah, else. It yeah. was uh, Putin Putin Putus Putan Saka, which means whore sauce. Whore sauce. Yeah. Like. W H O R E as in whore as a prostitute. Really? Yeah. Well, that's yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah. Which is what got everybody's attention. I mean, there was a lot of weird, illicit stuff. So right. the redditors and the four chans and the eight channers, you know, they went out there and anonymous and everybody else in the world. You know, they 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 start digging into these emails and trying to find hidden references, and it all seems to tie together the Podesta campaign, and not so much John Podesta as as is his brother Tony Podesta, and. Uh, the Cosmic Ping Pong Pizza Place in Washington, which had hosted right. some events and some things that they were doing. But what was creepy is that the Cosmic Ping Pong um, Instagram account, it actually had uh, a lot of images. And this is the only weird thing that I've really seen. The really well, 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 I'll elaborate a little more, but I, I agree with you on this. This is weird. One of one of a couple of weird things. Yeah, because right, I should right. say that there are a couple of things. But one, one thing, for instance, there are numerous images like one of the images on the Cosmic Ping Pong uh, uh, Instagram account had been a little girl and she's standing there. It looks like a, kind of like a funny little picture, but the little girl's hands are taped to the table. There's another image of a little boy being held uh, by what looks like a loving father. And he's got like a, a bead necklace around his neck and the, the necklace is draped around the child. But then one of the hashtags is hashtag chicken, chicken lovers, lovers. Yes. which is, a, you know, purportedly a reference to, you know, older men who are attracted sexually to young, you know, children. So some really, un- and the symbology on their signs, of the stores. Yeah. And some of the artwork that's depicted on the walls and everything. Mm. And then we go to Tony Podesta and he and his wife talking about, you know, featuring artwork as I've talked about on my other podcasts, by the way, middle theory, we talked about this on middle theory just this week. In fact, uh, Tony Podesta and his wife in, in a, a, this is quoted from an article from last year where they had said that, uh, there's a particular artist who likes to, I mean, this is completely consensual, but he'll, he'll do photography that features, uh, teenagers completely in the nude in their parents' homes. But the Podestas, Tony and his wife, not John, Tony and his wife like to feature these portraits in their bedroom. And, he, and they specifically in this article, and it was quoted them saying, we love the shock that we get out of people when we take them into our bedroom and they see these these nude images. And uh, there was the, the you know, the, the sculpture, you know. Yeah, the guy kind of leaned back in a, a very precarious weird precarious position almost like the whole entire body completely arched and uh there's that sculpture that he has i guess john podesta has in his house i think it was tony though is it tony yeah i think it's his brother tony most of this has to do with tony podesta yeah so he has this statue in his house and uh tracy twyman um on her sites has has made the observation that not only is this 
an, an occult symbol, but it's also uh, apparently Jeffrey Dahmer would pose the mutilated corpses of his victims that way. And, and for and reference, he, and he took pictures, which you can yeah. see. And for reference, you know, Tracy Twyman wrote a book called Sex Slaves in the CIA. So she's kind yeah. of got a background. She's written a lot more books than that. But I mean, right. that was one that really kind of had to do with this sort of thing. My thing with Pizzagate is that. Although there's a lot of unsettling stuff, most of it really the what seem to be pedophilic references made by the Cosmic Ping Pong Instagram. And I'm sorry, there's no excuse for pedophilia. Guys, in our culture, okay, we have a system of laws and we have a system of government governance that protects those who can't speak for themselves and that protects individuals and their rights and their liberties and their freedoms. And, and especially those who are the most, you know, the, 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 the you know, the, the, the most, uh, uh, indefensible, I guess, you know, I mean, our children. And so when you make any kind of a reference, I mean, that's not a funny thing, I think, when a reference is made to pedophilia. Any parent, you know, and frankly, any decent human being knows that. The problem I see, and then, Rob, I want to come back to you because I know you wanted to elaborate, but I will just say this. Apart from all of that, I don't see much with the Pizzagate thing that really suggests a whole lot of legitimacy to this. Again, I see a lot of like speculation by people online who are saying, well, you know, this looks like, like this. Tom's referencing these specific things that are having in common pizza. Uh, no, 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 Tom's not. No, they, they, that was, that was a different kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. Two separate stories. Two separate yeah, stories. Yeah, two stories. <laughs> so Tom, 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 Tom DeLong Tom DeLong and Podesta are talking about pizza and then. We no, 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 Tom DeLong and Tom, Tom DeLong has nothing to do with the pizza thing. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Tom, Tom yeah. DeLong's talking that about there. John Podesta is the, John Podesta is the common link between the pizza. He's the link between the pizza. He's the common link within the I brought up the whole thing. Just to be clear. John Podesta watched. I'm follow all this. Right, right, right. It's hard to follow. It's I, I, can, to follow. I can break it down real quick, though. John John Podesta, he, he's, he wants transparency as far as UFO stuff goes. We're all cool with that. And that's why Tom DeLong Tom DeLong yeah. is cool with that, and that's why he, he has communications with him. Right. John Podesta, however, has other communications with other people that seem a little on the more nefarious side. all of side. this was yeah. released okay. in the latest WikiLeaks. Well, okay. at least one of the latest WikiLeaks okay. games. It's been a couple months ago. So I just, I, just, I, I want to jump in here before yeah, I, yeah, sure. I lose my train of thought again yeah. real quick, but... The two things that when I first heard of this, I was like, oh, that's kind of silly and creepy and I don't want to think about it kind of thing. But when I heard that Reddit has completely abolished any conversation related they banned to this, it. they banned it because yeah, they said they, they said we don't it. want our site to become yeah. a witch hunt and they banned it. Yeah. And every single major news network has come out and said the same thing. This is fake news. This is crap. Everyone needs to stop paying attention to it. When when. When all these like great sources of information come out and say you're not allowed to talk about this anymore, that triggers something for me. It's and, and I had written it off until that happened, and now mm-hmm. I'm like, well, yeah. Before then, you would have just ignored it and just said, you know, whatever. It's but then all of a sudden, there because there is enough for there. whatever reason there is enough there, and there is there is people that are so um so entwined and so. Um, connected with uh, upper level politics and with um, you know the the rich elite and with people that they need to have, they need to have uh, the us the common people keeping them in check keeping an eye on them watching what they're doing even if we're wrong we need to have the right to talk about it because that's the only way that like they can ever come to justice. 
This is also, sorry, I mean, I know you're about to speak, but uh, this is also very reminiscent of Bohemian Grove and all of the 1980 Bohemian Grove. Absolutely. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Six sand stuff with Larry King and you right. know George Senior and all of those things. See this okay. Yeah. So Jeremy Frank brings up cover up. Jer- right, the Franklin yes. cover up. Yeah. Jeremy brings up a really important point here is that I think that and and really I don't think anybody else has said this by the way, Jeremy that um the the I, I don't think that Pizzagate is unbridled speculation. It is speculation that is built upon speculation though it is, and I think that there's a lot less than there may actually appear to be, but um. But nonetheless, I think that it's speculation that is built upon existing data that suggests that there are um, not just nefarious acts carrying being carried out, you know, by di- different agencies and government. And not, these are these aren't agencies. These are these are clubs. These are organizations. These are people, you know, getting together. You know, social clubs. You know, Bohemian Grove was first founded as like a a, a journalist drinking club back in the 1920s, I believe. And uh, Alex Jones, to his credit, crazy though he may be. He infiltrated, uh, you know, Bohemian Grove and he gets in there and he actually films, you know, this cremation of care ritual. I mean, it's not, it's not completely rumor and hearsay. It, it is fact that there are weird, people, there's weird stuff going on, there. weird occult, um, groups and, 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 um, rituals that are carried out there. And, you know, I don't think that it's necessarily all that weird that ritual, for instance, okay, Adam, we've spent the last few days watching videos by this badass wonderful group called ghost okay uh, ghost uh one of my yeah. one, of, one of my favorite yeah lucifer <laughs> he does the same thing he does, he does the exact same thing we See, are ghost man, we are ghost yeah and uh, we come to your country we we love but they're, 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 such a, they're such a great they're such an amazing band but i'm looking at the way that they incorporate it's obviously a mockery i mean it's obviously tongue-in-cheek you know that they incorporate you know satanism into what they do because of this existing trope that you know rock and roll is straight from hell and um but what they also incorporate is imagery that is is common throughout for instance latin american cultures you know with the day of the dead dios de los muertos and and all these kind of things and so i find that fascinating to me that humankind wants to be able to to reckon with the undead and with our you know this sort of an anthropological ancestry worship thing so point is that we we need to be able to understand what you know the role symbolism is and why symbolism is important and why we adhere to these kind of things skulls and skeletons and things when we look at these sorts of things in that context you know whether it be you know alex jones or conspiracists saying that you know illuminati symbolism or whatever is significant i mean it's not all crazy there's an anthropological significance to all of this we have to be careful when we go so far with it that we say that even though there's precedent for all these things uh, you know i I think uh that that we go and we say that you know and therefore the wikileaks emails indicate a you know a pedophilic you know uh ring a circus of of debauchery that's occurring you know within the democratic party I, i don't know that it necessarily indicates that uh, there's enough that is weird that should be paid attention to that's that's my whole point is don't block communication of it let's look into it and yeah. <clears throat> which which bespeaks the dogmatism and the ideological attitudes in the mainstream media and academicia right. if it seems like it's anything that could fall under the camp of conspiracy theory it's immediately excluded from the conversation and, and, yes. and is that really is that really right i don't i really i agree with you rob i don't think that's really right i don't think that there's as much with pizzagate and what i worry about with pizzagate is that while there may be some legitimacy people jump on this and say that now we got to fight this but guys you know again i always bring up mj my friend in new york and her you know involvement with the nexus human trafficking group guys get involved with an organization that fights human trafficking sex slavery yeah, if you really believe that you did something that you want to fight 
Find an organization, get involved, and become politically active. Don't just go on Reddit. Don't just go on Twitter. Don't just retweet pictures, you know, and things like this. Get involved. You know, again, one thing I know. Involved in your local government if you want to change. Justin, I know I I always say this and I always blow smoke up your rear end, but I mean, like, you know, (laughs) three doors down, you guys go to military bases. You you get to know people. You work. You know, you don't just say, we support our troops. No, you go to to bases. You guys perform. You meet people. Legitimately, like, we do a lot with our charities, but we the Better Life Foundation that for 13 years. Like, um, do oh, we, <laughs> you know, we, um, we actually care about, um, especially the guard service members. Well, I know, yeah, I, I've worked with you guys a few times and it's always been on some sort of a base or like, you know, in, in an actual hangar or, you know, it's constantly yeah, we, working we, with some charity or some group or some organization. And, and again, we I'm constantly find ourselves with these guys. Too, and, yeah. And I, want, and I don't want it to sound like it's just like, you know, me, like, you know, promoting you guys or something. Uh, what I'm trying to say is that if you feel passionate about Pizzagate, then go find a human trafficking organization that is trying to stop these kind of things in the world. Like Nexus, just look up Nexus. Next well, don't be your little like keyboard quarterback who's sitting there yeah. like typing away on Facebook. Like get, get your ass up and go get involved. Be involved in this stuff if you actually care about it. Well, and I brought this up I think on the last episode or two episodes ago where I think social media had the power to kind of bring us all together and um help us communicate and uh-huh. but it's it's kind of done the opposite where yeah. now people have tr- are treating it as more of a news source. Right. And, yeah. <laughs> so, so how do we temper it and how do we say, okay, we understand the problem and we all have the right idea, but how do we put it into action in, a, in an intelligent way? I mean, you know, we, without infringing freedom of speech, you know, That's, I want to say this right. about, uh, about the whole, about the Pizzagate thing is we got to look at it at the other side too. We got to look at these people that are a lot of the people that are, Talking about this Pizzagate stuff, a lot of them I have noticed have been a lot of people with kind of like the more evangelical Christian fringe. A lot of those people have been exploring this and talking about it. And also there are people that are anti-democratic, that anti-democrat party, Trump supporters, people like that, that have also been talking about it. But what they're not really looking at, a lot of them, is looking at things that are on the other side of the political aisle. So if this no, this could be true. I'm probably about 50-50 on it. But we know things like the Franklin cover-up have happened. Right. And I mean, and for God's sakes, last year, Dennis Hastert was revealed the former Speaker of the House, mm-hmm. by the way, right after Newt Gingrich was revealed to have molested young boys right. when he in the 70s. Right. And the what we were talking about with Dr. Future the other night about the... Uh, at, at dinner, we were talking about the uh, the oh. callboy ring in the Reagan White House. And so it's not it's not just we can talk about that. Yeah, it's not just on the side of the Democratic Party, right. it's the I mean, Republican they, Party. It's anybody that's in power. And George W. Bush too, really. Yeah, exactly. Needs to move, and that's, move beyond parties. It needs to be this is bad stuff yes. that either of these people are doing. And like like you think about like Anthony Weiner, like all that. Crazy yeah. stuff that happened with them. Yeah. Um, like the, the people who are out there um, finding this stuff need to be completely like like anti whatever political group. Like, well, right, right. Well, group. And, the, the justice needs to be right. past whatever political yeah. group you align yourself. And, it and, needs to be and, nonpartisan. And that was, that was my point is yeah. that the, the, you know, 
the us average Joes, the population, where it's our job to keep them in check. That's how the system works. You know, it's all checks and balances, and we, you know, we're we're the last check on that on that list. And but my my whole f- fear is that they are so they become so empowered and so ingrained, and they all have dirt on each other. No one's going to rat anybody out yeah. in the government. Nobody is that. If they're, you know, if if you got people up there, which naturally you would have people up there that have, you know, this is what I like to do. This is what I want. This is what I need. Like that there's going to, there's going to be little circles of people that are going to form and grow it's together. Gonna, be that, on parties too with those guys. They're yeah. Be, that, that's and and horrible things will start to evolve. And, you know, it's, inc- it's important to keep an eye out for that kind of stuff. You know, what's so. horrifying though, is that, you know, my gut I'll, I'll, you know, at the end of this conversation, I'm typically the voice of skepticism in this community. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm more than happy to be the person who says, okay, guys, calm down. Uh, conspiracy theories aside, you know, let's, how do we actually get ourselves involved in, in serious research, whether it be scientific, historical, political action, but I'm not afraid to say, and I will say on record here that uh, what's what's horrifying is that my gut tells me that there is more to all this, you know, and that yeah, yeah I think I think go, going all the, all the way back to the Reagan administration, or we go back to the George W. Bush administration, the whole weird back to old Hollywood, even yeah, mm-hmm. you yeah. got all the creepy old parties that all the yeah, old yep, famous actors yep. used to. Have. I mean, that's not even good point in a political sense, but you talk about like and probably like still happen the, now. Yeah. It's yeah, I mean, there's there's stuff that goes back even further, like elite people in America have had. A lot of weird and things. They think they can get away. Like it's just an ounce of unchecked power, and that's all it an takes. An ounce of unchecked yeah. power, and they think they can get away with murder it, it, or worse. And here's another, here's another aspect. That, that yeah. terrifies me. That terrifies here's me. Here's another aspect, too, as far as the whole Pizzagate thing. This really wasn't part of Pizzagate, was this whole spirit cooking thing. That's what you, oh, heard. Yeah. That's what you heard about <laughs> first. Maria Abramovich. This apparently... Oh yeah, I've even seen people say that you know she's seventy years old, which apparently she is, but she looks young, so she must bathe in dead in dead people's she blood. She bathes in the blood of the like young. Elizabeth yes. Bathory yeah. or something, ghost. right? Right. Well, yeah, I was just thinking she, Bathory. She, she becomes her. So, so we have this. We have this aspect. And you have this occult. She is an occultist, mm, yeah. but she's a performance artist as well. So it's just, it seems that it has that quality that just is just this something that just shocks middle America. So they equate, they equate everything like that, even if it's just pretentious performance art with Satanism. You know, that just automatically equals Satanism. So, doesn't eat McDonald's you know, it's like, it, every day, it, so she probably looks like she's not. Yeah. <laughs> You know, she was She's probably relatively ill. Funny, funny thing, by the way, she was featured as uh, as the like you know at the, on the last page of Time Magazine, where they do the interview with someone, you know, and they ask them, you know, like twelve questions. Uh, right around the time of the whole Pizzagate thing, she was featured as the as the Time Magazine you know, person. They didn't didn't even talk about that. I don't think they mentioned spirit cooking either. By the way, no, no, um, that's not, something that was I in the WikiLeaks. <laughs> Yeah, they didn't talk about it. Well, the but the timing of her in fifteen minutes. But the timing of her being featured was Better quite. Better Gardens. <laughs> that, that, that whole thing, Michael, that whole thing had no legs for me. The whole Abramovich yeah. spirit cooking thing. I didn't see it. More that was smart. an email from Tony Podesta to his brother. He was just forwarding the email and, and see, telling John that this was happening, and John didn't even end up going. And so and, I'm like, think it, about how many invites to well, weird shit that you guys get on Facebook. And again and again, like, come yeah, on. again. Everybody keeps trying to tie this in directly with the Hillary Clinton campaign, but these emails all seem to t- 
tied back to Tony Podesta, not John. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, again, I think John Podesta is a guy who I find very interesting, especially as it relates to my own, uh, my ongoing interest in uh, unexplained aerial phenomena. And, um, and like I said before, it doesn't help that John Podesta kind of looks like Nosferatu. So there's, there's, I don't think he looks like Nosferatu. You guys, also, also funny that picture of Mussolini in in this book. Now he looks, looks like, like Nosferatu. Nosferatu. Uh, he looks like Nosferatu. And by the way, I, if I want to, look like Nosferatu. <laughs> well, guys, uh, I want to thank you all for coming tonight. We're gonna we're gonna have a little shorter than usual show, but uh, we. Uh, Guys, Justin, we'll start with you. Tell people where you know they can find you and uh, um, all your web presence, all that good stuff. I am all over the place. All over the place. <laughs> in the words of Rocky Erickson, <laughs> the in the words of Rocky Erickson, he has always been here before. Always been here before. I'm easy to find if you search anything with three doors down. I'm, sure, I'm in there. Um, Instagram. Facebook, all that stuff. Justin, three doors down. I'm easy to find. I'm usually doing something stupid. I'm around. And Jeremy? <laughs> uh, you can, <laughs> this is where my name comes from. Uh, if you're on Instagram, women's you can find, find me on, yeah, in the women's room. Um, <laughs> which is the league of North Carolina. Everywhere. Yeah, public restrooms everywhere. Find I'm, me a I'm comment the guy behind the hole. <laughs> find a big comment ping pong. In the women's room. I'm the one that answers when you knock twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, Mr. London, if you nasty on Instagram. You want to find Be here at 415 for hot action. I am that hot action. And Mr. Micah Hanks. As if no one knows you by now on this show. But <laughs> I got to collect myself. <laughs> oh, God. It's yeah. funny. Oh, <laughs> yeah, these, these guys, let me just say, okay. <clears throat> You can find me at my website, micahanks.com and uh, graylandreport.com. If you're interested in this kind of subject, you know, like we we're talking about with Pizzagate, you know, middletheory.com is the news and current events politics, uh, you know, podcast that I do with my co-hosts, uh, Chris McCollum and, and Matthew Oakley. Uh, and of course, you know, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Micah Hanks and then also Micah underscore Hanks on Instagram. That's how you find me, but I couldn't tell you anything more important than how great it has been finally to have these two guys <laughs> in studio with me. Jeremy London, who has been, you may not hear him every week on the Grayling Report, but I mean, you know, with my podcasts and stuff, this guy's behind the scenes always. He's always giving me information, always feeding me ideas. You know, he's always just a telling big, you when you suck. Yeah, yeah, and also, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both the good and the bad, and also just just being you know a good friend and a good supporter, and you know, same goes with Justin, and I've I've, I've continually said. Dude, come be in all you you gotta be on a podcast with me. And he beat you guys to the punch. Okay. So this is my first podcast ever. His first oh, podcast ever. And it wasn't even it was your podcast. So awesome. but all the more reason that I'm thankful to have both them here and uh you know and thankful for you guys with Conspiracy Normal. So great to be here yeah, with thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah it's been fun. Thank you guys a lot of fun, for coming man. on. I'm in uh, I'm local Nashville, so yeah, yeah. You two guys are both here. Yeah. You and Jeremy both. Yeah. This guy right here, who, who yeah. knows? I may be here. I may be here more permanently in this in the future. You Don't know. really great, Micah. <laughs> yeah. Rob, tell people where they can find us. You want oh, as if they haven't found us already. <laughs> yeah, if you need to find us, uh, check out our website at www.conspiranormal.com. There's uh, all the links you need there, or you can go to is it uh, automatic.com. Automatic. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
and Stitcher and all the other great yes. places. Yeah. That That's what I told him, by the way. Best podcast That's name ever. Conspiracy. <laughs> <Normal. laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic name. Thank you. Uh, next week, guys, we have Walter Bosley coming back to talk about his book, Shimmering Light. And I will form these guys. We have a little tradition where we scream out the name of the podcast at the end of the show. So thank you guys for being here. And we will be back next week on Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.